Hi, my name is Dr. Mark Allen Derry, and I'm an infectious diseases specialist in New Orleans. Hi, my name is Doc Griggs, and I'm a community medicine doctor and health literacy expert. This is the Noise Filter Podcast, where an infectious diseases physician, that's me, and a health literacy and communications expert, that's me, talk about what you need to know about COVID-19. You can find more information about this show and our other daily live updates and Q&A show at noisefiltershow.com. So let's get started. Hey ho, let's go. This is Dr. Mark Allen Derry, and I am the host of Noise Filter. Thank you so much for tuning in every day, and thank you so much for all of your kind comments and remarks that you sent to us. If you do enjoy this podcast, we ask that you leave us a rating or a review. It's the best way for other folks to be able to find us at Noise Filter. Dr. Griggs is not with us today, as he is taking a well-deserved day off, and so I am flying solo. So let's get started. Let's talk about the CDC study on COVID-19 in teens versus children. So a recent report from the CDC shows that teenagers are about twice as likely as younger children to get COVID-19. Now, the study reported that 63% of pediatric cases were children aged 12 or older, but that compares to a much lower number of 37% that involved kids that were younger, 5 to 11 in age range. And this disparity is most likely due to differences in behaviors between teens and children. For instance, parents are more likely to have some control over younger kids' actions, especially socialization. Teens, however, may have a little less parental guidance, so their behavior often puts them at higher risk for getting and transmitting the virus. Now, gender did not seem to play a role in the distribution of cases, and the CDC's analysis shows that the number of cases in boys and girls under the age of 18 was very comparable. But listen to this. More than half of the pediatric COVID-19 diagnoses those were in patients with underlying health conditions. And it seems clear that Black and Hispanic children are far more at risk mm. <laughs> for worse outcomes from COVID-19. Now, teenagers may have better outcomes after a bout of COVID than with other age groups, but they're most likely to transmit the virus in their communities, especially to the most vulnerable patients and age groups. Now, that's part of the reason for a push to include more teens in vaccine trials. Pfizer already announced that teens as young as 16 will be in their trials. That's great. Now, all of this research adds much-needed context to some of our open-ended questions about school reopenings. Now, is it smarter to have younger kids only in classroom settings if they are more likely to follow restrictions? Should teens be held to virtual online learning? I don't know, but we have seen that that transmission in schools amongst younger kids is really fascinating as to why there is so, so less transmission. And, and again, is it the, they're easier to, to uh, be able to have socially distanced and what have you, but uh, could it also be the ACE2 receptors? We, we have documented here on Noise Filter that studies show that there's less ACE2 receptors in the nasopharynx, in the, in the nose and the mouth of children. And we know that the ACE2 receptors are what's necessary for the virus to get into your body and, and actually cause the infection. So we're going to continue to follow up on this story. As COVID-19 closes schools, the world's children go to work. 
At least kids and their families in the U.S. have some choice between in-person and online learning, but students in developing countries without digital access have very few options. Now, the UNICEF says that about 872 million students in 52 countries are not able to go back to the classrooms because of COVID-19. More than half that number don't have access to remote learning. That means that their choice is more likely to be real work versus schoolwork. So now let's talk about this. Now, the United Nations estimates that about 24 million children will drop out of school around the world, and millions more will be pulled into the labor force as they struggle to help their families make ends meet. Consider what that means for many of these kids. The New York Times reports on 10-year-olds who are mining sand in Kenya and chopping weeds on cocoa plantations in West Africa. In Indonesia, there are children as young as eight years old who have to work as street performers to earn a living. And there are children in India, some as young as six years old, who are sorting through garbage, looking for plastic that they can recycle for a few cents. We're talking about dangerous work here, and those who can't work are often left to starve. They may be targeted by child traffickers or even forced into arranged marriages. With all that to contend with, there's a real risk that years of progress in school enrollment, as well as literacy levels, and children's mental health in developing countries will be rolled back. There is pressure to reopen schools in countries like India and get those kids back into classrooms, but it's a real tricky choice for local leaders, some of whom who are absolutely desperate to cut off any potential vectors for COVID-19. This is a, a, a tough story. It's a tough uh, the idea that we were finally getting more and more children back to school uh, and out of doing child labor was very real progress around the world. And, and uh, I hope that COVID-19 is only a temporary setback and that we'll be able to get to those baseline numbers where children are back in school and learning and literacy levels are up. So we just really need to get COVID over with. <laughs> so we'll continue to follow the story. Poverty in the pandemic. Worries about school kids in developing countries point to broader concerns about the pandemic's impact there. The UN World Food Programming is warning of a potential wave of hunger and famine amid the COVID-19 crisis. The group tells the Washington Post it will need close to $5 billion to prevent 30 million people from starving this year. Around 135 million people around the world are faced with acute food insecurity before the pandemic, and experts are expecting that number to double. The COVID-19 crisis may undermine efforts to bring down the world poverty by 2030. The International Labor Organization says the pandemic already cost workers about $3.5 trillion in income. India is a good example of a really bad trend line. India is seeing more than 120 million jobs disappear during its nationwide lockdown, and the UN predicts about 45 million job losses in Latin America alone. Now, it wouldn't be surprising that private donors are facing renewed calls to help support the developing world, and the World Food Program counts more than 2,000 billionaires around the globe with a combined net worth of $8 trillion. And let me also take a moment right now to say congratulations to the World Food Program, who won a Nobel Prize for Peace this past week. Thanks for listening to the Noise Filter Daily Podcast. 
Dr. Derry and I have a daily show at 4 p.m. Central Standard Time where we go into more detail on stories and answer your questions about COVID-19. You can find Doc Griggs at Doc Griggs one on social media, and you can find me at Dr. Mark Allen Derry or at D-R-D-E-R-Y. You can follow us at Noise Filter on Instagram, Noise Filter NOLA on Twitter, and for more information about us and the show, you can go to noisefiltershow.com. Hey, Doc Griggs, any last words? Remember, get checked, get fit, get moving. And remember to get some rest to boost your immune system. And Doc, protect yourself and others by staying home and please wear masks when you go outside. Remember, health is a human right.